We have, a, we have an amazing opportunity this morning to ponder and look at something that we hardly ever ponder and look at. We're in our series on Holy Week one day at a time, and what day are we on? We're on Saturday. What in the world happened on Saturday? Have you ever heard a sermon about what happened on Saturday? I never have. I'm excited to preach one to you right now. Uh, my guess is you've probably either been told or you kind of assumed or came to the conclusion that Saturday in Holy Week is kind of a nothing day. It's kind of an in-between day where everybody's, well, everybody's real sad. You probably figure that out pretty easily. Shocked. But, but with Jesus, there is never a wasted day. With Jesus, there is never a wasted day. And this Saturday is no exception. Does that make you curious? Hmm. Well, that's what we're going to talk about that. We're going to, we have to approach the scriptures today like a detective a little bit. We're going to come to the scriptures and we're going to put on our detective hat and we're going to try to figure out where are the disciples? What are they doing? Where are the women that went to the cross and watched Jesus die and then helped take his body and put it into the tomb with Joseph of Arimathea, where are they on Saturday? What are they doing? What about the Pharisees and the chief priests? What are they doing on Saturday? They're throwing a little party? They just got Jesus killed? Are they? I don't know. Where's Jesus on Saturday? That's a real interesting question. You ever wonder about that? One thing we're told really clearly is what the chief priests and the Pharisees are doing. They're fretting. They're worried. They're afraid. Not because they just got Jesus executed, but because of something Jesus said. Jesus said, on the third day, I will rise again. And the Pharisees know this. And so they're afraid of what this, is, what this is going to mean. Turn with me to Matthew 27. Matthew 27 is a really long chapter. We're going to go down to verse 62. And this is what it says. The next day, the one after preparation day, so preparation is when you're preparing for the Sabbath. That's on Friday. So the day after preparation day is on Saturday. The chief priests and the Pharisees went to Pilate. They said, Sir, we remember that while Jesus was alive, that deceiver said, after three days, I will rise again. And so give the order for the tomb to be made secure until the third day. Otherwise, his disciples may come and steal the body and tell the people that he has been raised from the dead. This last deception will be worse than the first. So Pilate answered, Take a guard, a bunch of Roman soldiers, that's what a guard is. Take, take a guard and go and make the tomb as secure as you know how. So they went and made the tomb secure by putting a seal on the stone. There's a stone in front of the tomb, right? So they, some, they put a seal, I don't know what they sealed it with. They put a seal and they posted a guard. So here are these Roman soldiers 
we don't know how many of them, but a bunch of them, standing guard all day Saturday of the tomb. They got their swords and their clubs and their armor and their shields, and there they stand guarding Jesus' body. They don't have any idea what they just got themselves into, do they? What are they going to see? Because when Jesus comes back, they are going to be totally helpless to use those little swords of theirs, aren't they? You know the story? You know what happens? So they guard the tomb all through the night on Saturday, and at the end of their guard duty, when it comes to an end, this is what happens. This is Matthew 28, verse 2 and 3. There was a violent earthquake. You ever been in an earthquake, anybody? Some scary stuff, right? The ground starts moving. There was a violent earthquake for an angel of the Lord, one of them, came down from heaven. And going to the tomb, he rolled back the stone. And I love this part. He sat on it. I think that's so funny. <laughs> you rolled back the stone. He just doesn't stand there. He sat on it. And his appearance was lightning. Have you ever seen lightning? Have you ever had lightning strike like, you know, like just a few yards away or half a... Do you kind of look and go, oh, wow, that was cool. No, you don't. You go, ah! Right? And so when it says he, he appeared, he looked like lightning, his clothes were as white as snow, what is it going to do to the guards? The guards were so afraid of him that they shook. Roman soldiers, with all their stuff, they shook and became like dead men. I wonder what that means. They fall over? Were they just petrified? What an incredible scene. The strongest army of, of, of the modern day is standing guard, and then one angel shows up, and it, it all falls apart. It says a lot about God's power, doesn't it? A lot about God's glory. A lot about his strength. Because he just laid down his strength and died. But now we see a little appearance. We see a little glimmer of what his strength is actually like when one angel shows up and they become like dead men. Because do you remember, is there any talk of the soldiers when, the next morning? When, when, when the women come and people are running to the tomb, where did the soldiers, soldiers go? I think it's a little like Monty Python, like, run away, run away, right? I think they just, they, they must have run away. What about the three women? There's three women. You know what their names are? Mary, Mary, and Mary. And none of them are Jesus' mom, interestingly enough. Um, but where are they? We get a little clue, actually, from... Right when Jesus dies. So go to Luke 23 with me. Verse 52. So Jesus has literally just died. Going to Pilate, Joseph, Joseph of Arimathea asked for Jesus' body. And then he took it down. Can you imagine? He took Jesus' body down. And wrapped it in a linen cloth and placed it in a tomb cut in the rock. 
one which no one had ever been laid in. And it was preparation day, so this is Friday. And here's the key. The Sabbath was about to begin. When does the Sabbath start? At sundown. So the sun's about to go down, and the Sabbath is about to start. Jesus dies right at the beginning of the Sabbath. Isn't that interesting? The women who had come with Jesus from Galilee followed Joseph and Jesus' body and saw the tomb and how his body was laid in it. But then they went home and prepared spices and perfumes, but they rested on the Sabbath in obedience to the commandment, God's commandment to rest. So these three women, Mary, Mary, and Mary, they do something really amazing to honor God in the midst of their grief. You can imagine what it would have been like for these women who love Jesus to stand there at the cross and watch Jesus die. There was only one disciple that was able to do that, and these three women. And in their grief, they choose one thing over another. You see, these three women, everything in them wants to prepare Jesus' body according to the Jewish burial ritual. You know what the burial ritual is? You wrap it, you wrap it in, in a cloth and then you put all of these spices, sometimes like pounds and pounds of spices on the body and perfume. And you prepare the body for burial. But there's no time to do that because the sun is going down. And so they make this choice. They make this choice to obey the Sabbath and to observe the Sabbath instead of going and getting the spices and putting them on Jesus' body. That doesn't seem really significant right, right away, does it? But it is. Because when they choose to observe the Sabbath, and they, what do they do on Saturday? Well, they're home weeping and in shock and preparing spices to go back and put on Jesus' body. That's what they're doing on Saturday. Observing the Sabbath and, and preparing spices. But since they waited, then, then when do they go back to the tomb to anoint Jesus' body with spices? First thing in the morning on Sunday. And they're the first ones. What do they see? They see an empty tomb and the angel who's still there. So their obedience to observe the Sabbath gives them this incredible blessing of being the first followers of Jesus to, to see the empty tomb. And to see the angel, and then they're entrusted with the testimony that Jesus has come back to death, come back to life to go and tell the disciples. It's these three women who go and tell the disciples that Jesus' body isn't there anymore. And then one of them, Mary Magdalene, sticks around a little longer. And she's the first person to actually see Jesus and talk with him. Right? All because they were obedient. Do you know why putting spices on a, on a dead body is such a big deal? Because a, a, a tomb is designed to help the body decay really fast. I don't know if you know this. But they don't, you don't bury the body. You put it in this cave where there's air and let the body decay. Well, it doesn't take very long for a body to start smelling really bad when it's decaying. So the reason you put spices on is to fight against the odor of decay. And so these women make this choice to let Jesus' body smell in order to observe the Sabbath. And they're rewarded by being the first people to see the empty tomb. Isn't that cool? 
What about the disciples? Scripture doesn't tell us directly where they are. But there's a couple of clues. I'd say it's highly likely that they're observing the Sabbath too because that's what they've done every Friday night and Saturday for the last three years that they've been with Jesus. That's what you do on the Sabbath is you observe the Sabbath. So my guess, it seems really likely that they are observing the Sabbath. But here's something that it tells us on Sunday, later on. In John chapter 20, verse 19, it says, On the evening of that first day of the week, so Sunday evening, where were the disciples? The disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders. What do they think the Jewish leaders might do next? Come after them. They got Jesus killed. Maybe they're next, right? So they're hiding. They're hiding and afraid for their life. In Mark 16, it says this. It says, When Jesus rose on the first day, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of which he had driven seven demons. And she went and told those who had been with him who were mourning and weeping. And so it seems really likely that the disciples are all together in one room, hiding and mourning and weeping and afraid for their life. I had the thought for the first time when I was preparing for this, I wonder if it's possible that they were in the room where they observed the Passover with Jesus two nights before. What a, what a wild experience that would have been, to be sitting in the room where they celebrated Passover with Jesus. It doesn't tell us. We don't know, but I wonder. But that Sabbath night for the disciples must have been the most dark, painful, grief-filled Sabbath in the history of their life, in the history of the world. I mean, can, you just, can, you, can you go there? Can you imagine what it would have been like to be one of the disciples? Jesus was their hero. Jesus was their God, their Messiah. He, they, he, he was the one that they had put all of their hope and laid down their life. Five days ago, he was coming in to the, to the city of Jerusalem and it looked like he was going to be crowned king by force, by the whole crowds. And how in the world, five days later, are we sitting here scared for our life and Jesus is dead? What? I mean, what was it, just think, what was it like to sit in that room? Are they fighting to have hope? Or is all hope gone? I don't know. What were they thinking about? Their favorite memory with Jesus, maybe? What do you do when somebody dies? You, Thinking about what you loved about them. I bet you they're thinking about how well he loved them. What it felt like to be with him, remembering. I bet you they're wondering what their future holds. Now that Jesus is gone, like what in the world is happening? It's like losing your job, only worse. I wonder what they were praying in the chaos of their soul. I wonder, what they're, I wonder if they're praying. God, why didn't you stop this? Isn't that what we often say when tragedy happens? Why, God, why didn't you intervene? Are you kidding? 
Where are you? And I wonder if the disciples felt loved by God on Saturday. Have you learned? Have you learned how to be loved by God when really terrible things happen? Or when really terrible things happen, do you start to doubt that God loves you? Because the truth is, friends, our circumstances are not the measure of how much God loves us. The disciples are faced with that today on Saturday. Are your circumstances the measure of how much God loves you? No. The truth is that God's love for you never, ever, 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 ever changes or wavers. No matter what's going on. In the early church, they came up with these statements trying to summarize the basics of, of the Christian faith. And they were called creeds. And a lot of churches around the world, you say the creed every time you come together at church to remind yourself what are the basics of what we believe. So I want you to, I want you to recite with me the, the Apostles' Creed. We're going to say it slowly. You ready? I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, and Jesus the Christ, his only begotten Son, who was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate. He was crucified died and was buried. He descended into hell and on the third day rose again. And he will come again to judge the living and the dead and his kingdom will have no end. Where was Jesus on Saturday? Jesus descended into hell. And it's in the creeds, but we never seem to talk about it or study it. And today we get to. It's interesting because the, the gospel accounts of Jesus' life, they don't talk about this. This comes from Peter and Paul, who wrote a lot of the rest of the New Testament. They talk about this. There's a lot of verses that talk about this idea, and so we're going to look at three of them this morning. All right? This is in 1 Peter, written by Peter, chapter 3. And he says this. He says, for Jesus, this is one of the greatest summaries of the gospel, by the way, this first part. For Jesus suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. And then it says this. It says, after being made alive, Jesus went and made proclamation to the imprisoned spirits, to those who were disobedient, long ago when God waited patiently 
in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. So Jesus goes and makes proclamation. He proclaims things. He proclaims truths to people who have died long ago. So Jesus is talking to people who have died and he's proclaiming things to them. It says that he's talking to people who are disobedient. Does that mean they were unbelievers? Often when the scriptures use the word disobedient, it means unbelievers, not just the behavior. Is he proclaiming judgment over them or is he proclaiming the gospel and the good news over them? It doesn't say. What's he proclaiming? And why is he proclaiming it? Let's go to the next chapter of Peter, 1 Peter chapter 4. Peter tells us something else. It says, But the unbelievers will have to give an account to God who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is the reason the gospel was preached even to those who are now dead so that they might be, one, judged according to human standards in regard to the body, but two, live according to God in regard to the Spirit. What do you make of that? It's not super clear, and so there's a lot of debate about this, and I want to get into debatable matters, but it seems possible for sure that Jesus is proclaiming the, the gospel to people who have died. Sounds like a lot of grace. Paul adds some things in, in Ephesians chapter 4. This is what Paul says. But to each one of us, grace has been given. Amen. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, quote, When Jesus ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower depths of the earth? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens. Why? In order to fill the whole universe. It seems to say that the reason Jesus descended to the lower depths was so that his presence would be able to fill every part of the whole universe. Interesting. So many questions that this brings up. There's not a ton of answers. But Jesus descended into hell and made proclamation, told truths to people who had died. That's what Jesus is doing on Saturday. His body died, but his spirit lived. And he didn't just rest. He went and worked. Because with Jesus, there's no wasted days. There's no wasted days. So what does all this mean? How do we apply this to our life? What is God trying to show us? I would suggest this is one thing. 
When all of Jesus' followers are full of pain and grief and feeling hopeless, God was still moving. Isn't that true? God was still moving in their darkest night of the soul when all hope seems to have been lost. God was still at work. God was still moving on Saturday. God wants you to see that that is true for you in your life today. When you are in pain, when you are feeling confused, even if you get to the place where all hope seems to be lost, God is still moving in your life. God is still loving you in your life. And since it is true that God is still moving no matter what, we can always have hope. We can always have hope in God. We can always choose to trust Him and to have hope. Do you know what it means to fight for hope? Do you know what it means to fight for hope when there is no hope? Because God is still moving and God is still loving you. What is hope? Hope is that in our painful, confusing circumstances, God is still good. And God is still working. And God is still loving you. That's what hope is. That when your circumstances are a mess, God is still good. And God is still moving. And God is still loving you. And if you can press into that and rest in that, you can have God's hope no matter how bad it gets. And some of us need that. And if you don't need it today, you might need it next week. Right? With God, there is always hope because with Jesus, there is never a wasted day. Amen? God gave me this picture. I've been struggling with a bunch of stuff the last couple months. And uh, he gave me this picture. And it's, like a, it's like a road that's going around the corner of a mountain, and so you can't see around the corner. But God said to me, he's like, Paul, if you could see the things I'm doing around the corner, then you would find it really easy to just sit here and trust me and rest. And so can you trust even though you can't see what's around the corner, can you trust that I'm working and doing things that you cannot see? And can you allow yourself to just trust and rest today even though you can't see it? And if you need a picture to help you figure out how to try to do this in your life, maybe that's a good picture. If you could see what's around the If the disciples could have seen what was around the corner, they would have been throwing a party in that room, right? Right? No problem. Jesus is coming back to, come back to life in like 36 hours. Easy. I'm serious, right? If you, if you could see what God is doing around the corner, it would be easy to trust and to just rest. And I think that's what God wants for us. It's not easy. But it's available.